Um, well, uh, hello everyone. On behalf of the Institute of the Americas, I would like to express my gratitude for joining us to this fantastic debate. I must especially thank our guests for joining us today in, in this event. Uh, I'm, I may re, uh, remember you that this event will be recorded. Um, ask you to please mute yourself uh, during the, the event. As an Argentinian, I can't avoid expressing my sadness for Diego Armando Maradona's death. I am sure that our discussion today here in the UK could be considered one of the hundreds of tributes held around the world. Likewise, today the Argentine parliament is close to legalizing abortion. Like many other Argentines, today my heart is with all the feminists, women, non-binary and trans men struggling for the basic right to decide over their own body. Our session will be organized in two blocks. First, our guests will give three short presentations and then we will open the debate for a QA section. During the presentation, you can write your questions in the chat box and then I will read them. Uh, today, our guests are uh, the professor Brenda Elsey. She is a professor of history at Hofstra University. She's author of Citizens Sportman, Football and Politics in 20th Century Chile, and co-author of Futbolera, A History of Women and Sports in Latin America. Her new book, Losing to Win, The Joy, Agony and Politics of Sports in Latin America is forthcoming from the UNC Press. Matthew Brown is professor in Latin American history at University of Bristol. He's author of From Frontiers to Football, an alternative history of Latin Americans since uh, the uh, 18th century. Um, Co-editor of Connections After Colonialism, Europe and Latin America in the 1820. Nowadays, he's finalizing his book on the history of sports in South America, Our Common Goals, which will be published in Yale University. Ernesto Semen is an associate professor in the Department of Game Languages at the University of Bergen, and he is author of The Ambassador of the Working Class, Argentina's International Labour Activist, and the Cold War Democracy in the Americas. So uh, today we'll be start with the presentation of Professor Ernesto Semen. Okay, thank you. Uh, thank you, Patricio, for the, for the introductions and thank you everybody for, for being there. And thank you, Paolo and Patricio for, for organizing and inviting us, uh, really. Um, we, we will have uh, time to talk uh, later during the Q&A. So I wish us uh, throw out three very basic ideas about something I think is crucial that has been sort of a surprisingly absent or underestimated in most discussions about Maradona these days, which is football and, and soccer and what he did in the, in the field and what he and others, the way he and others uh, recounted uh, what, what, what happened uh, there. And I want to do this because I think the reasons why Maradona is a global icon, which is a, the, the title of this event, are easily found in a very simple thing. He was one of the greatest artists in the 20th century and delivered a virtuosity that sort of captivated uh, millions around a feelings of beauty and love for human creations. And I see 
in the in the construction of uh, his myth a case against the rationalization of politics and also an opportunity to relocate emotions uh, particularly joy as a, as a vital realm for the production of meanings in, in people's lives and and with this i don't want to sort of elevate uh, football to art uh, but to try to explain why it is art and, and i don't want to elevate art to politics either uh, I think Benjamin said, I don't remember exactly the quote, but that the artist uh, becomes a politician when uh, his art is exhausted, right? When politics become a declining detour for artistic expression. And there may be something uh, about uh, Maradona in, in his latest, uh, uh, late uh, stages of his life. But like many other artists in the past, whoever, uh, Beethoven or Leonardo, I think that the, if Maradona is relevant uh, uh, today, and I think it's going to be relevant in the future, is because regardless of everything else, he remained for a very long time uh, devoted to his specific art. And when I say that people uh, mourn the, the death of a great artist in, in Maradona, I mean that he excelled in what is probably the most widespread form of popular culture worldwide, in three simultaneous levels. Uh, first, I think that he solved every single challenge that football presented to him, all of them. Uh, uh, working on, on in great teams or in mediocre ones, being old or being young, perfectly fit, injured, uh, rested, uh, restless, uh, under pressure, without pressure, inside the field, outside the field. And what held this, this capacity together was the production of what an apparently infinite physical, uh, mental, and emotional resources connected all into a single entity that, that, was, that was himself. And second, the, the most important part, I think, I think that he solved all those challenges by always pushing the limits of the general, by doubling down in an exploration of what was possible. And uh, yes, he did so by creatively sort of adapting to circumstances, uh, running more or running less, depending on the circumstances, uh, directing an orchestra or sort of flying solo, uh, speeding up or slowing down. But also I think he did so by sort of joyfully exploring uh, what uh, uh, else he could do with his body what else he would discover to amuse himself and to amuse others. We all remember uh, the goal against Italy in Mexico in 1986, where he scored this, incre this incredible spin from an improbable angle, uh, uh, shooting with the external side of, of his left foot across uh, his body to the farther side of the goalie, where you can literally see in that uh, image, uh, uh, discover new muscles in his legs, muscles that you didn't even know that existed, that as you can see in the picture that is uh, also uh, that I'm using as a, as a background. There seems to be nothing he could not do at that moment. And now we can think, for example, how uh, people, artists like, like Cervantes confronted literature as an exhausting endeavor, uh, yet one full of joy and full of fun, exploring infinite ways of uh, mastering a story, a sort of a, a very hardworking task in which life is literally consumed, right? Uh, I think that George Steiner uh, had compared Maradona with Shakespeare. Uh, 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 Mariano Siski, a friend and an art in the professor who teaches about culture and football at Harvard, uh, thinks about this uh, Kantian experience of the sublime in which the world is so almost uh, suspended, in this case, by, by a human uh, creation. 
how did Maradona achieve that? The idea that there is an Argentine style or a Potrero spirit, right? That Maradona was able to bring to the big leagues, the skills uh, learned in Buenos Aires uh, shanty towns, uh, is interesting, but I think that is misleading. Uh, seeing his evolution over time, uh, it becomes obvious that, that he's been practicing these ideas and moves since the late 70s. He might have been always a genius, of course, but he was not always shining in exactly the same way. Uh, uh, first, there's this Maradona of the early years in which he's pure fun, uh, playing mostly with himself, with a sense of his skills much more developed than his own body, and more developed than, 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 than a sense of the entire field. Uh, and then there's this Maradona of the early 80s that sort of connects uh, this sense of pleasure with a more uh, thoughtful pondering about his mental and physical skills. Uh, you can see that more things uh, in Mexico 86 had been tried before, practiced and revised during that period in Argentino Juniors against Boca, in a memorable run in Barcelona, or during a game against England uh, six years before the famous uh, one that we all remember. But I think it is only in the third phase when he moves to Italy, when Maradona becomes a, sort of a full body. To get this genie out of the bottle, Maradona engages with the most competitive league uh, from the disadvantaged starting point of Napoli, develops his body, improves his training, and practices his sense to get an idea of the entire team, uh, his own team and the adversaries, to become sort of a real master on a much bigger show that is necessarily and, and almost always uh, a collective. The Maradona of Mexico 26 is more generous, uh, more calculating, and more fit than his previous versions. And probably nature and the memory of his early days in the shanty town are important, but, but I think they're far from enough. He benefited from uh, uh, all the resources of professionalization, but I think that it was in order to bring to the center the spirit of the amateur in the deepest sense of the term. Uh, amateur, not as imperfect or unprofessional or lazy, but someone whose inner engine is love for what he does. The, the amateur, uh, el que ama, uh, the one who loves, is in Maradona also a product of an exhausting training in which uh, his life and his body are, are ultimately uh, used up. So he solved all the challenges. He did so by pushing the limits of football. And third, he was the greatest storyteller. And uh, he relocated all these actions as part of a sort of a teleological story, connecting his biography with a collective feeling of uh, a struggle from below. <clears throat> Victories and, and failures were sort of reinterpreted along two contradictory tenets, uh, a revenge of the dispossessed against the powerful and a sort of a perpetual threat of, uh, of a backlash of the powerful against the powerless, always looming in the, in the horizon. I think there's no predestination or, or no social origins in Villa Fiorito that explain this, that explain why Maradona builds this narrative. Uh, uh, um, Class imaginary, we, we all know, is not the, the product of material conditions, but the result of a, sort of a discursive effort uh, to make sense of those conditions. And Maradona could have been, for example, the star of Barcelona, had not been for an hepatitis and a player from Atletico de Madrid, Goicochea, um, uh, who, who broke his ankle. But once he felt that his days in Barcelona were over, he found a solution to the problem that Soccer presented uh, by going to an improbable place like Napoli. 
He pushed the limits of what was thought it was possible in a team like that. And then he reinscribed those actions as part of a centuries old confrontation between the impoverished South uh, and the racist and wealthy North of Italy. I, I want to bring uh, this, this story, uh, uh, finish it by bringing him back uh, home. In the, in the 1970s, uh, Borges uh, famous, famously said uh, that Argentina would be a different country had the national, had the national book been uh, Facundo instead of uh, Martin Fierro. Had the country embraced an indictment against the, the sort of the dreadful effects of plebeian emotions instead of celebrating uh, those emotions. And I think that during the last decades and during the last weeks after Maradona passed away, there has been a similar complaining going on that Argentina would be a different and a better country uh, had the symbol of its uh, most vibrant cultural form were Messi instead of Maradona, right? If uh, talent and genius could be provided, but deprived of excesses. And I think that the analogy <clears throat> uh, is relevant because as, as literature a uh, hundred years ago, football, the game and, and everything else surrounded football, surrounding football, uh, is a realm in which people actually define who they are and where we create stories about why we're part of a community, who is the us in the nation, how we look like, uh, where we are in the, in the social order. Any social order is about the control of emotions. Any dream of a modern rationalization of human relations is about subduing feelings uh, uh, to the point that make them uh, intelligible and predictable, right? The, the dream of having uh, a contained genius, uh, uh, a talent who behaves, who stays put, uh, is, is the dream of reason. And, and Maradona, with his bundle of contradictions, was the ultimate expression of modern football's uh, culture and industry. But as such, and I finish with this, he was also a, a, a talent that was impossible to tame by others and by himself. And the myth, the global icon and the myth, so powerful that it has brought people uh, to tears for decades, grew out of those excesses. Not so much the excesses so obviously condemned, but the extremes of love uh, 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 to his creation in which millions have found a joy, uh, comfort, and also a sense of a collective victory. Thanks, thanks, Ernesto, for your presentation. Uh, the next speaker is uh, Professor Ma. Sorry, uh, thanks, Ernesto, for your presentation. Your ne the next speaker is Matthew Brown. Thanks very much, Patricia. Thanks to University College London for inviting me. Thanks, Ernesto, for that great paper. I didn't cry, but nearly um so yeah great to have a token englishman on the panel to be humiliated by the skills and genius of everybody else but i'll try and do my best um so and it's wonderful to see everybody um so many friends and my intellectual inspirations in the audience there so Hi everyone in these terrible times. It's lovely that we've got this moment to be together. In 
2014, I published this um, this one, General History of Latin America, called From Frontiers to Football. And I picked out Diego Maradona as one of the Latin Americans whose international projection was such that outsiders, like my students, should know about and reflect upon their cultural significance, alongside the big names such as Che Guevara, Simon Bolivar, Jose Martí, Evita, Pinochet, Rigoberto Menchú, Lula, Evo Morales, and inevitably also Pelé. Reaction to the news of his death around the world demonstrated how everyone seemed to have a stake in Diego. His skill on the field, as Ernesto was describing, was often so sublime and his story so potent that his life carried some meaning for everyone, both those weeping beside his coffin and those writing, but he was a cheat in capital letters in the comments section underneath the articles that I wrote. I'm really looking forward to the question and answer session as part of this panel. There are so many people in this room with observations to make and insights to add. I saw Diego Maradona play football just once in a friendly for Argentina in Chile's National Stadium in 1994, in which the play and in fact the world seemed to revolve around him while he was on the pitch. I'm going to make three brief points. First, I'll set the scene talking about how that World Cup quarterfinal affected me in 1986. Then I'll talk about the stereotypes of Latin America in England and how Diego Maradona fitted into these through the 1980s and 1990s. And finally, I'll conclude with some thoughts about public commemorations of Latin Americans in the United Kingdom. So, on Sunday, the 22nd of June, 1986, I came home from Boy Scout camp. I was 11 years old, and if fan is the right word at the time, I was a fan of non-league Wickham Wanderers. That day at scout camp, according to my diary, here it is, I picked it out of the roof, uh, we played tug of war, and we played a game called Throwing the Shuttlecock, which makes it feel a bit like 1886 instead of 1986. Then I came home and watched the England-Argentina match on television with my mum, dad and brother. The headline in my diary for the 22nd of June 1986, I think you can see it here, England are out, it says. I then went on to write. Maradona's first goal was a great volleyball shot, but the second was Brill. See diagram. I provided, as you can see, maybe you can't quite see, a diagram of the way in which the little X, which was Maradona, moved around the little dots, which were the English players. Barnes helped Lineker scored our goal, which proves my point that Barnes should have played earlier. Overall, Argentina cheated. Clearly in 1986, the combination of the two goals touched a nerve, not just amongst 11 year old boys, but across English football society, which was already scarred by the 1985 tragedies at Bradford and Heysel. 
it showed the importance of football to English national identity in the post-imperial age. I suggest that most English people would rather have won that World Cup quarter-final than the Falklands War, which as Sue Townsend portrayed it in the secret diary of Adrian Mole, published just at the same time, was often hidden under biscuit crumbs when they tried to locate it on the map. Let's move on and talk a little bit about stereotypes of Latin Americans in the UK. These have waned over the last 34 years since 1986, as a result of the continued decline of the remnants of the informal empire, the great efforts of the Latin Americanists in the UK, many of whom are now in the room, and the, maybe more importantly, the incorporation of hundreds of thousands of Latin American migrants into British communities, families, and narratives. Latin Americans have become normalized in schools and workplaces in the UK, from offices to football pitches. So in a way, the myth of Diego Armando Maradona, the flawed Latin genius, was still passable in the British media in the days after he died, because it was a throwback to the comfortable old stereotype of the 1970s and 1980s of, you know, uncontrollable emotion, sublime skill, womanizing, illegal narcotics, criminality, and the preference for trickery over fair play. Brenda's going to take care of the gender politics of all of this in a moment. As Kate Fox's amazing book, uh, Watching the English, showed, the English sense that their national character is distinguished by a sense of fair play, supporting the underdog, and knowing your place in social hierarchies is largely an invented one, but it's no less real for that. And it's a combination of factors. It's a result of a combination of factors, some of them imperial. The thing about Diego Maradona, of course, was that he didn't know his place. That was the whole point. And that's why he remained an icon to people across the world who saw him bursting through the defenses of the old order. I think Britain's imperial presence in Latin American history is not without relevance here. In my 11-year-old's diary in 1986, I admired Maradona's skill and remarked on his cheating, no doubt influenced by the BBC commentary that evening. The reason why so many have been unable to let it lie in for 34 years is that Diego Maradona successfully took on England at its own game, association football, which was itself a form of the informal empire. The international competitions in association football since the 1900 Olympics and the first FIFA World Cups from 1930 that England deigned not to attend were shaped by England's claim to preeminence based on having invented the exercise of kicking a ball into a target by means of the codification of the rules in 1863 that were then globalized in the late 19th century. As I show in my forthcoming book that Patricio mentioned, Our Common Goal, origins of football in South America lay as much with local people as with Germans as with Britons, and in multi-sports clubs as much as with football associations. The invention of the British fathers of football, such as Alexander Watson Hutton and the alumni team in Buenos Aires, was as much a creation of the first footballers themselves as it was a faithful representation of historical reality. 
As everybody apart from the fringe English nationalists have recognized by now though, and as Diego Maradona remarked himself, that photograph of Peter Shilton with his eyes closed, punching the air, is actually quite funny. And for a nation that is supposed to pride itself on its sense of humor, it's probably time to join the celebration. Which leads me to my final point around commemoration. An event like this is really interesting. It's gonna be a stimulating discussion and lots of fun. What better way of demonstrating that great English sense of humor and finally accepting the referee's verdict from 34 years ago as final than by putting up a statue in England to the player recognized as the greatest of all time by people as diverse as Gary Lineker, Eric Cantona, Leo Messi, Ryan Giggs and Wayne Rooney. Let's think first about which Latin American men are currently commemorated in the UK by a statue. Brackets, there are no women at all. We can talk about that later. I don't really hold a candle for statues generally. And my own city, Bristol, is currently much more famous for pulling them down rather than putting them up. However, statues of Latin Americans in the UK fall into three categories. First, it's the heroes of national liberation from the independent period. Simon Bolivar in Belgrave Square in London, just over the road from José de San Martín, also in Belgrave Square, Francisco de Miranda in Fitzroy Square in London, and Bernardo O'Higgins in Richmond. Second, there are the statues to the sportsmen, Ayrton Senna and Juan Manuel Fangio at the Donington Park race circuit and Cyril Regis at the Hawthorns, who was born in French Guiana in South America, so it's tenuous, but he played for my team, Wickham Wanderers too, so he's on the list. Apparently, there's a statue of Sergio Aguero planned for the city of Manchester Stadium. But that's it, sportsman. And then the third category of statues of Latin American in the United Kingdom is the religious figures. There's the Easter Island Moai at the British Museum, although we're hoping that they might be going back soon. And Saint Oscar Romero, the martyr del Salvadorian priest who has a statue at Westminster Abbey. So, congratulations to everyone who's seen this punchline coming. National liberation heroes, sportsmen and religious figures. Diego Maradona was all of these. With the 1986 World Cup against England, in David Goldblatt's words, a performance of canonical status. It's clear that he fits the bill. So to conclude, where should the statue of Diego Maradona go? Outside Wembley Stadium, outside the National Football Museum in Manchester, outside Peter Shilton's house, perhaps. And if not in England, then maybe there's a claim for putting it at Hampden Park, home of the Scottish National Football Team and the Scottish National Football Museum, and where Diego scored his first international goal in 1979. But certainly it should be up on a pedestal, as some people would probably want to tear it down. Thanks very much for your attention. I look forward to discussing later on. Thanks, Matthew, for your presentation. Uh, now uh, we have the presentation of Brenda Elsie. 
Hi, everyone. Thanks for coming. And thank you for the invitation from UCL. And I'm so honored to be asked to do this. And uh, like the other said, to see the people in the audience, there are quite a few of you that know a whole lot about the history of Latin America sport and um, also Maradona. Uh, I'm just going to talk really informally and quickly because I am really enthusiastic about uh, the conversation we're going to have. Um, first, a little bit about gender, then about um, Maradona as an anti-imperialist figure, and a little bit about the global transfer market, which is probably not super exciting to everyone, but I think actually has a lot to do with the politics of Maradona. So, um, Right. Uh, being the feminist uh, historian is often um, a, a sad position on these panels because, of course, Maradona is someone that I'm intrigued, enamored in, in lots of ways by. But a lot of the quotes that we've seen over the last couple of weeks have uh, built on the writer Fontana Rosa, who said, I don't care what Maradona did with his life. I care what he did with mine. And that's really moving. It is. It, it was for me too. But I also thought to myself, what, what message does that send? And who gets that pass in history? Who is it that we can say? And of course, it goes back to the question of separating the art and the artist. And I think it's perfect that Ernesto started um, with that point. So Maradona really aesthetically had a lot of anti-authoritarian aspects to, to the iconography about him, right? At a moment when the dictatorship was dictating short hair for men and long skirts for women, there's Maradona with his unruly hair and earrings and tattoos and his whole physical embodiment and performance of rebellion. And, and that's really important, I think, to a lot of people and, and their memory of that time. At the same time, we know that uh, he was frequently guilty of making homophobic comments, of using homophobia uh, as a way to diminish other men. We know uh, from the videos from a few years ago about his record of hurting women close to him and far away. Um, and it's hard, you know, that's a very painful thing to grapple with, but it's also intellectually really important because we have to understand sort of what the significance of reproducing that is. When the Argentine women's football team went on strike in 2017, they asked Maradona for his support, which he did not give. So there's actual, it's not just symbolically, but his political legacy is contradictory and, um, and it's not easy to, to sort of um, for a lot of people to move on. But I think what's most important has been the reaction to the Argentine feminists that have made this point and the sort of violence and, and the vitriol that he has channeled, uh, not Maradona himself, of course, but as soon as they brought this up, the reaction to how dare you, how could you ever do that? And that needs a lot of analysis. Um, to my mind, you know, where that's coming from and what it says in this moment where Neonamenos has really changed uh, a lot of the, of the social movements uh, throughout Latin America. When the women's team at Gimnasia last year 
raised these questions when Maradona was appointed as manager, they were absolutely um, isolated and alienated. And so the question of why you cannot integrate these things, and when Ernesto's talking about joy, that's really useful to think through, right? What does it mean to kind of integrate a painful legacy within that? Why is the framework, you know, what does it say about sexism and gender that the framework is, is, is as such? So in any case, I think it leads to one of the reasons, which is because Maradona really was symbolically important to the left in Latin America and beyond. And so it's, it's, it's sullying more than just a football icon, but also a political icon for a lot of people. And I think one of the interesting things is that Maradona maintained and articulated his working class background as a political identity in a moment when footballers were being told by agents, were being told by sponsors, you have to depoliticize. If you want a Nike contract, if you want this, you cannot go out there and say, oh, I love Chavez. That is not, that's not going to get you a Nike sponsorship. So, so he really was very, um, was very different uh, than what the industry of football was recommending at the time, even in the 80s. I mean, there's a lot of examples of this, and we can talk about Pelé as a, as a, as a different sort of related example, but an interesting one. And I think it's a really important question then to think about his, his status as a political symbol of the left and a little bit of the distance uh, between that and the reality of actual political work, um, just as scholars, which I think we rarely look at, right? So he's a celebrity. He's one of the only and first and most important celebrities of football in terms of having a working class politics. What, the distance between that and his actual work is pretty fascinating. In the 1990s, he tries to start this radical labor union with Eric Cantona. Uh, and says FIFPRO, the International Players Union, is not radical enough. And it's kind of his gesture to start to really do some political work and build a constructive project. And it doesn't get off the ground, not so much maybe for his fault um, as so much as the power of that. So it's kind of interesting to think about him in global terms, uh, in terms of labor. And I don't think there's enough about that because you see, for example, Ernesto said it was improbable he went to Napoli, but actually that was the second time. It was the second time that he broke the global transfer fee. And that transfer fee, millions of dollars, he didn't get any of. It's between club and club, right? And he never forgot that. He, he never sort of got over the fact that he had broken this record and yet saw none of the money. And he knew that, that you know, Division two, Division three in Argentina. So there was a solidarity that he had. And I think it's really interesting to think about how he tried to transfer at certain times that that working class identity into an actual project. Um, though, you know, it's important to think today you have someone like Marcus Rashford, right, in England doing this um, massive campaign. Um, you know, his his symbolism seems to have have always outshone a bit of the actual work and and that doesn't need to be forefront in our minds or discussions i just think it has to be something that we think through 
as we see the commemorations of him as being this political icon, I think icon is the right word more than perhaps worker and what that means you know, to us, that, that he did more work as a symbol um, than an actual movement, yet we see people doing that. And just finally, I would say, um, so that I'm not, you know, only a feminist uh, killjoy this presentation, but to also say, but, but I will continue to be that um, throughout the q and I don't really take that hat off very easily, but I will say um, the story of him, uh, he, that narrative in Argentine football history was already built and he stepped right into it. Right, um, Valdano says at a certain point, I left Argentina because, and played in the Bundesliga in Germany because there's a call to a style of play that I was never gonna, gonna fit. And he says to him, to, he said in lots of ways, um, lots of different interviews, he says, I was never going to be able to play like Maradona. And if I'm being very honest, I would rather see Maradona play than Valdano. So um, I think he has a beautiful intersection with a history of working class Argentina, and he's able to kind of just step into this role that the fans and the football culture in the clubs had built for the working class player already. And the fact that the most excellent athlete, that the most excellent artist was a working class person remained very important. Um, during the dictatorship, during neoliberalism, um, in the post-dictatorship period. So um, I'll end on that, on that um, more positive and, and loving note. Thanks, Brenda, for your amazing presentation. Uh, well, we're opening the Q&A section. So please, uh, if you want to add a question to for the members of the panel just write it in the chat box. I will start reading some of the questions that people had left here. Just a second. Okay. Uh, uh, David Weber asked, hi everyone, a question for Ernesto. While some part of Maradona appeals his politics, as the Napolitans, he wasn't a politician in the conventional sense of the term, but he was in many aspects a freedom fighter. I figured he had, for an oppressed, dispossessed class. That is surely political. It's a question for Ernesto. Uh, yeah, yeah, I, I guess I'm going to comment on that, but, but I guess it can be also the beginning of an, a more open conversation. Uh, if everybody else or anybody else have uh, something to add, and 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 my answer will be yes and no. Uh, yes, uh, politics uh, understood as the specific statements about the relation between the state and society, and. Uh, you know, uh, political uh, decision, decision-making process uh, were things about which Maradona had uh, strong opinions as about pretty much anything else. Uh, and that sort of uh, surrounded uh, his, his public persona and, and became part of the communication 
right? Part of the of the of the of the fabric that connected him with this larger body uh, of followers, fans, uh, society, those who hate him, etc., uh, etc. Et uh, I do think that uh, the most uh, relevant uh, uh, political component of him. I'm a little bit in relation to what uh, Matthew say, uh, said in, in relation to, to its impact in, in England and Brenda uh, in relation to how he uh, uh, re recreated permanently his, his working class origins. Uh, I think that, that the, the, the political core of Diego Maradona as a symbol uh, has more to do with the way he reinterpreted uh, constantly soccer, football. Uh, what he did as a player, uh, what happens uh, in, in football as, as, a, as a cultural realm. Um, I, I think that, that uh, most of what uh, uh, started to, to create this idea, I don't know if it was your question or, or uh, yeah, the, 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 uh, the idea of a, of a freedom fighter, which I, I don't know if it's exactly the, 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 the right expression because he always connected uh, his fights to some sort of a collective uh, endeavor, uh, have more to do with the way he, he told the story of football than about specific political statements that in some ways uh, uh, built the, 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 the outer side uh, of what he was as a symbol. And in relation to that, uh, and one of the reasons why was that, uh, is what, what uh, Brenda mentioned by passing, which is, which is a specific timing in which he started on, uh, uh, he, he writes to fame uh, in Argentina first and worldwide later. The 80s, and we're not discovering anything here, uh, but the 80s, far from being a lost decade, uh, are probably the last moment uh, before the neoliberalism, and it's a terrible word, but, but it's a, a strong, violent, uh, and systematic effort for an hyper-rationalization of every single uh, 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 social relation. Uh, is the last moment in which we live before that. The changes happening in the 80s and consolidated in, consolidated in, the, in the 90s uh, are probably going to, going to be uh, uh, as relevant as, as the card changes 400 years ago. I can't even imagine how, uh, uh, how to, how to uh, frame that uh, to, to give a sense of how important they are. It is in that, and that affects particularly soccer, uh, which is, lives in that moment that goes, uh, uh, is going to become sort of a global phenomenon uh, uh, in a much stronger way than what it was before, partly due to, to technology. It is in that moment in which uh, uh, the industry and, and the, the culture of football creates this icon that at the same time uh, becomes uh, impossible uh, to control. Maradona, I was thinking about that uh, before the talk, Maradona, uh, uh, plays his becomes famous worldwide in 1979 uh, when he wins when Argentina wins the final uh, against the Soviet Union. His last efforts internationally are in 1994 
when that country no longer existed and he's playing in the most improbable places of all for football uh, 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 World Cup, which is the United States. He had gone, he had gone on, on the side of a huge transformation of, of which I think the peak is Italy 1990. Do we say, do we think that uh, when we say that his politics matter, are we referring to the way he behaved in the, in the final uh, when he was like muttering hijo de puta uh, in front of the camera in Italia 1990? Or we're talking about whether he uh, was, uh, you know, shaking hands with this or that other political leader. Uh, because the, 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 the way he described his uh, uh, performance in Italy and the way he performed in Italy during that, I think that are deeply uh, uh, political. And are deeply political not because of the way he plays soccer, but the way he reinscribed those uh, uh, games within a specific narrative. At the moment in which Italy, which is very hard to remember now, uh, was uh, uh, focusing on the World Cup as one specific morning, mo moment for sort of a cleaning uh, its image uh, in the process of becoming part of the European Union. Pretty much exactly the same was going to happen with Spain in 1992 and 1994 with the Olympics and the, and the World Fair. Uh, he's going uh, through uh, uh, in a process on the side of a process of reconfiguration of society uh, in which things like football are particularly crucial crucial to redefine the meaning of this new new society. So in that sense, I do think uh, uh, politics matter are, and are extremely crucial to understand why he became uh, uh, an icon. Uh, this other part is more specifically uh, uh, directly uh, political engagements. Uh, I think they are part of him. I have the sense that they are more on the side. I have the sense that most people uh, when think, uh, cry, or feel about Maradona, uh, have those things more on the outer side of what's going on, uh, and have more in the center the emotions with their personal, the relation with, of their personal biographies with his uh, sport uh, achievements, and the way he narrated those achievements, right? Thanks, Alastair, for, for answering. Um, a, a question to all of Juan Said Bawa. Is there a contradiction in Maradona being a working class icon and his accessible luxury lifestyle as a millionaire footballer? Did this not contradict his political stance and every cause he has supported? What do you think about luxury politics in Maradona? I can start. Um, what I would say is capitalism is a total system. Um, hey, right. So I don't, I mean, focusing on, I think there's a lot of focus on consumerism and athletes and working class athletes in particular, if they're um, black athletes become a heightened spectacle and scrutiny over their personal consumerism. Um, I don't find that really contradictory. Um, it, at all, except in so far that that's the economic system in which we live that would force that. I mean, um, at the same time, he, Maradona is pretty well known for 
not being particularly generous. I'm going to just hide here as a chair charity wise, um, or, or building that. So there, there are, there are, and I'm not saying he should be right. I'm not, I'm not out here with a moralistic agenda of what, of what he should do with, um, with his salary, but he, he is not the most generous, um, economically in terms of charity things, uh, at the same time, uh, when he was, you know, for example, when he's in Cuba, he famously lives in this like really uh, lavish house. You know, he's not living as a Cuban. So he, there's a contradiction a bit between, you know, I, Fidel Castro's my father and I 100% um, agree with him and everything he thinks and his actual lifestyle. But again, I think, you know, that's a, a question to give a lot of pause to in terms of how we look at historical actors. Might you and Lester want to add something about this? I'll have an opinion on that as a working class historian when I become a millionaire. <laughs> good one. That's a good point. Uh, but there's a lot of questions about the Maradona's link with Cuban revolution. Uh, but I think Brenda had addressed a little about it. Uh, but I don't know if someone went to add something. Um, okay. So, Brenda, there are a lot of questions about the gender politics of Maradona, as someone could expect. Uh, one of the questions addresses that uh, recently for the Lave, that is a famous trans actress and activist, wrote an article about this event when Maradona uh, said her like he was a uh, congratulation for her achievement of receiving her DNA, ED card. Uh, uh, there had been a constant contradiction between public Maradona and intimate Maradona. Which one we should take in consideration to analyze the relationship with LGBTQ community and gender politics in general? I mean, I don't think that's an either or, it's a and uh, situation. Um, a lot of the inner, well, I, so I camped out with the Argentine women's team before the Copa America. And I can tell you that they have, um, their dream is to have, you know, Maradona's jersey. So when Ernesto talks about the power of the artistry, there's no doubt that for women footballers, everything that Maradona achieved, and we focus a lot on 86, but we could talk a lot about 1990. We could talk a lot. I mean, I mean, this is a, we could talk a lot about his time at Barcelona, even if it was brief and ended in a kind of, you know, one of the greatest football brawls of all time, probably. <laughs> but in any case, um, you know, you can st he can still be a kind of um, inspiration. It, it, I, so I don't think it's sort of an either or question. His personal life, in terms of of that, uh, because of the way that he lived, he doesn't is there really a thing as him having a personal life you know to a certain extent he becomes um public and all those actions that he does become public artifacts even if he wouldn't wish them to be so whether it's you interview or you do that you're nice to this person on the street um you know I'm, I'm not sure that that division we can take it nor do we need to say he's one thing this was also never a person who came out and said I am the model for a moral life. You know, Maradona doesn't set himself up 
to 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 be a role model of 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 morals mm -hmm. you know he knows life's not fair that's one of the reasons people love him and he he wants to exploit that and and that's okay i think i i also think of the following up uh, exactly on, on on brenda's uh point that you know, two two things uh about this one great one is that we might we need to take it uh, to sort of sort out what we are asking about uh, or wondering about his biography and the things he did and he did not do and the other uh, is to try to elucidate um, if those things are relevant or not for the people who consider him uh, an icon. Uh, are those things at the center or not? Uh, it, it's, it's, it's common for those who love Maradona uh, to say that uh, people uh, basically condone uh, his, his private uh, behavior. I don't even know if that's true. Uh, I don't know if everybody care in the same way. Uh, I don't know if it is uh, at the center uh, of what people think, you know, yeah, well, he scored twice against England. I don't care if he beat his wife. I don't. I don't see that happening. Uh, uh, I don't think the process in which you relate to uh, uh, an object of love, uh, much more one that is not uh, directly related to you, uh, is so uh, direct and, and and explicit. And uh, as 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 Mariano Siski, who is around here in the screen, I don't know where, uh, uh, said in in an interview recently. Uh, you don't love the right person or the wrong person. This, that's, this is not even a question. Um, I, it's just love. I usually love people for the wrong, for wrong reasons also. And, and so I, I don't think that the dimension uh, of gender, which I think is, is, is important in, in, in the analysis of of those who want to uh, analyze his his uh, his actions, I don't think that is at the center in the same way uh, that is being posed in many of the debates of whether people accepted or uh, basically uh, uh, blame him for the things. And in, and and in that sense, analytically about football or any other thing, I think it's always important. I remember whose uh, phrase was that uh, to differentiate the question from your question. And I know that that is our question, and it might be the question of many, but I don't know if that's the question upon which uh, the, the, the creation of Maradona as, a, as an idol is being built. I remember the, the, a remote example, but, but it's typical, it comes back uh, among historians, mostly those working about Argentina, uh, when the opposition to Peron, to the rise of Peron, uh, uh, were alarmed by the fascist uh, connotations of his movement and the fascistic legacies and background of, of Peron. And, uh, and they, they ended his their political campaign uh, against the rise of Peron uh, with a big banner that said, uh, yes to democracy, no to fascism. And, and they when, when Peron actually won, they concluded that people were actually fascist. And it took, depending on how intelligent people were between five days and 50 years to realize that that was not the question. And it wasn't that Peron was not a fascist. 
Uh, it probably was in so many fundamental ways, but that was not what, what was at, at stake in people deciding why they were going to support him at, the, at a given time in a specific historical moment. I, I bring this sort of a extreme example from, from something uh, different to see how we locate Maradona uh, in his historical time and uh, not only as an individual, but mostly as an icon. The way people build those relations, I think, are less uh, uh, transparent uh, in, in, in the terms of a QA uh, of what he did and did not do. And more, and that's what, something that I was trying to say uh, during my, my talk, uh, more related to an emotional level. And by emotional level, I'm not uh, underestimating it. On the contrary, uh, I think it, it should help us to frame the rational in a, in a, different, in a different way. Uh, thanks, Ernesto. Um, there are so many questions, so I'm just uh, picking the more representative. Uh, Elche has a, a specific question for Matthew. Uh, you mentioned the impact of reading form on Pi and its consequences on, for stereotypes of Latin Americans in the UK. Given the amount of great Latin American players that, that transfer to Europe clubs uh, at the late professional level and the dominance of European organization in global football culture today, do you think there is a link to be made between formal empire and the current structure of global football? And how might Maradona in his time as a player be or not to be emblematic at it? Uh, for, of this? Yeah, I can answer that. Thanks, Alex. It's a great question, but I'm reluctant to answer it with Rory Miller in the audience because I know would do a much better answer than I would. But I'll just say very briefly, I don't, it's, not as, it's not as simple because, of course, FIFA in its early days is um, you know, many Latin American representatives in FIFA are very important in shaping the direction of FIFA. It's not a British um, plaything, far from it. And then, of course, you have this transition at the end of the um, 60s going into the 70s from the uh, Stanley Rouse era into the Joao Havelange era. So you know, the centre of gravity of FIFA is, um, you know, we should give much more weight to South America than, um, than Britain in these kind of international things. But I'd, I won't do a long answer because I think there's so many great questions and so many great people here to, to hear. Okay. Uh, thanks, Mario. Um, I, I have a question for myself also. Uh, could you, the three of you, compare Maradona narrative with other football player narrative, for example, on different uses it has been done of them narratives? I'm thinking, for example, in, in Tevez, I know that he has now a, a, TV a TV show in Netflix, and his narrative is also related to poor worker class uh, person that stands for football, but the effects of the narrative are totally opposite. In fact, he was used by the right administration as part of his campaign, you know, Mauricio Macri, as example. Or what we can do if we compare Maradona with Pelé as a global icon? If you could choose one character and, and think where all the similarities are or not. I'm sure there are not similarities at all. But It can be very, very brief. And uh, pick up one that I think the only one that, that comes to my mind as something similar is Mohamed Ali. <laughs> in the sense, in, in this specific sense of the, of the three things that, that I mentioned at the beginning, which is uh, sort of facing something uh, um, uh, that, that was able to, that he was able to solve in creative ways uh, uh, that were in, in uh, 
not done before in the same way. Uh, and uh, in the sense that he uh, brought uh, back to the center his, his racial and, and social origins uh, and, and turned that into a way to describe what he has achieved uh, uh, in, the, in the sport. And, and, and I would say also in the sense that he uh, was extremely intelligent and, and funny uh, the way Maradona actually, actually was. Uh, I do think that, that in, uh, unlike Maradona, uh, Mohamed Ali was much more directly politically uh, less in the emotional way in which I was trying to describe and or, 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 or in addition to that, more specifically uh, uh, committed with, with some specific causes. I think that that has to, might, might have to do with being two different human beings, but also I think the timing, uh, uh, Argentina in the 80s with this narrative arc that I just described before uh, and, and the US in the 60s are, are very different, different fields, right? Um, I, I sort of prefer to see the, him in contrast to Pelé um, and, and, what, and more interested, less in comparing them as players, right? Though obviously Pelé passed a bit more. Um, but uh, <laughs> I think, uh, you know, classic tens and this amazing legacy, but look what has been done by journalists and by historians and um, much love for David Goldblatt, but I'm going to depart from his work very sharply right now um, to say that Pele is a consummate professional. Maradona is the leftist, you know, radical um, out there rebelling against everything. But Pele, he is just, he, he is just, um, you know, a, a sort of pushover for whatever political waves might come. He's very professional. He's not the joy of the people like Garhincha. Now, if you go and read the press from the 1950s, 60s, and 70s, that's just absolutely not true. That's not what Pele was like. He was very much considered to be um, uh, that that the best and player and athlete in the world was black and touring decolonial Africa at that moment was incredibly important to the left. And yet it's been completely changed um, because of the later versions and because, you know, as he gets older, he, yes, takes a photograph with Bolsonaro's jersey and whatever. But that's not how people in football culture saw him. So I actually think it's, it, there is a really interesting comparison to be made there and also a kind of, um, a kind of struggle over the narrative that we're still in right now as people that write as critical scholars on, on, you know, Latin Americanists on football. Like there's a real struggle over those questions. And I think a lot of these narratives we get in the 1980s and 90s and we inherit from people like Galeano and, you know, um, much love to him as a writer. This is not a person that was reviewing, you know, social history type methods. Matthew, do you want to, to address the question? Okay. Uh... <laughs> I mean, Patricia, while you're looking for another question, I'll just say, you know, while we're yeah. talking about narratives of footballers, um, for those of you who don't know, the amazing Wickham Wanderers footballer called Dave Carroll, in the late 1980s, early 1990s, who was known as Jesus. 
because not only did he act like him, he looked like him too, and was greeted with the with the cry, which I don't think ever happened to Diego Maradona, of Jesus, Jesus, every time he came onto the pitch. Sadly forgotten by the historiography. Uh, okay. Um, there's a lot of questions about replacing Maradona as a national icon of Argentina. So the one question is, I will bring them together. One question is, what happened with Maradona in this context of the Grieta, as it's called, this division between supposedly Peronis, anti-Peronis, uh, Ernesto, we said Peronis, anti-Peronis, but it could be populist, anti-populist. Uh, but also we'll add what happened with Maradona and the, and the context of Malvinas' uh, war, um, if we bring it to the to a global scope, uh, in particular in the UK, so to make it wider to all the panel to, to talk about it. So unless you want to start with the populist thing. Yeah, why not? Uh... No, well, but I, I don't. I, I think it might be a, a, a professional deviation, but uh, uh, I think there's uh, chronology is important, uh, and um, the the la, la grieta, regardless, everything people can think about how superfluous that is, uh, relates uh, in part to the creation, probably for the first time in, in modern history in Argentina, of a right-wing uh, political coalition that is active in, 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 in Argentine democracy, right? Uh, and that is solid, uh, that is uh, quite extended, uh, and that is ideologically very cohesive, uh, at least around the thing that they don't want. Uh, and socially also, there's a clivage social very specific of, of those who actually think that Argentina is a country that has to become uh, competitive internationally and knowing that that might not be enough to create an inclusive society and everybody else will have to wait. And those who don't wait are some sort of an obstacle uh, towards that, that path of, of, of modernity. So. Uh, that started to take shape uh, as, as, a, as a coalition, as a movement uh, around 2006, seven, eight, nine. Uh, by that time, uh, uh, Maradona, the icon itself, uh, was already built, uh, and probably um, based on, a, on an extended uh, social base that included uh, some of these uh, these people. So probably there is an overlap in there uh, that might not, could not have been possible had Maradona started to play today. Um, and, and I think that that, 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 that crack uh, shows during uh, the, the weeks after, after he passed away, uh, when you see people complaining about the way the country behaves. Uh, around um, whether his body had to be or not at, at the Casa Rosada, or whether were people were violent or not around him, and whether, in the end, people should have as an icon someone so problematic uh, instead of having someone more more organized uh, with his life and otherwise the case of, of, of Messi. So. Uh, uh, 
I don't know if I answer uh, directly the, the 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 question. I think that that uh, most likely uh, his influence and his presence goes beyond the Grieta. Uh, but I think that also the, the, the grid expresses the historical limits of how that creation belongs to one specific moment. Uh, I could not have been reproduced later in life uh, after the beginning of the 21st century, right? Okay, um, so uh, Brenda, Matthew, do you want to, to address something of this topic? I'm I'm pretty uh, impressed with Ernesto's answer. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry, can yeah. I can I answer one question from Alejandro Velasco that now Please. is in the chat as a thing that was way back there? Oh um, sure, sorry, there's many questions. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. Because um, now now I see. Um, so the the question about lionizing. Okay. Yeah. That? That's. Thanks, all. A question for Brenda and Matthew, but more generally about Lionel figures. In the context of rephrasals of historical figures and their complicated legacies, it seemed almost trite to state that Maradona was a complex figure. And yet, some figures do seem to be given a pass, as Brenda mentioned, and other less so. I'm curious, what do you think are the larger dynamics that account for that difference? Okay. So I just wanted to say a couple things and maybe you too. Um, I think that it was great that Ernesto started um, by describing him as an artist because it's going to make this point a lot easier, which is um, I think it has to also do with the division of body, mind, athletes, artists that is false and has its own politics. So the idea that footballers might not be expected to have really nuanced politics because they're just not quite as intelligent as a Picasso. And I think at least in the academy that that I don't think in larger, you know, in journalistic circles that that's always true, but at least in the in academic um, field, I, I think that's still the way that it's treated. And I'm not saying that football is or that sports are the same as every other art, but certainly there's no reason that you couldn't think of it in the same venue as you do dance or um, lots of other things that are seen as sort of higher culture or more complex. So I, I actually think that ongoing um, prejudice and it, it still is it's still at play when you're talking about why do athletes often get a pass? Um, for their politics, I think it's, you know, there's a little, the expectations are lower than like, you know, when you're going to have full books on Picasso's um, politics on A, B, or C. And obviously, because they're working with their body, it may not be as explicit at a, as a writer's politics. So uh, there's that as well. And then I think the timing so past dependent historian, I guess, um, the timing is always essential in terms of lionization as well. I think, you know, if Maradona's death had come earlier than Niuna Menos, many of these concerns um, would not be raised. And I think if it came later, they might be raised differently. So I just wanted to add those things. I think it's, it's a 
it's a really good question, you know, to keep in, in mind. It's really. Once you're in us to want to add something about it. Uh, yes, uh, to continue, uh, I will ask add a question to, to Brenda, sorry, Brenda. But what do you think that, um, what we could think about what happened with feminism uh, when they have to deal with these popular icons, you know, this, this new feminism that is more massive and is uh, all the time crossed by tensions about class and this uh, middle class elite and this popular feminism that is uh, in contact also with these popular icons and creates all this paradox. And also I will add, what happened with these paradoxical uh, figures of Maradona as an icon, you know, with this uses of sometimes queer aesthetics now this small tiny uh speedos in the beach uh he kissing all the men uh all those things that were like paradoxical for the nighters what do you think about all this oh, what happens in the in the social networks now in the last uh weeks for in argentina i don't know <laughs> I well i think it 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 disrupts any sort of neat narrative in a very good way for people because the the feminist movement didn't traditionally have um, a really strong relationship to sports until Neo Um, You know, the feminist movement itself wasn't that interested in mobilizing women athletes, and that has really changed um, over the past ten years. So. I think this conversation that's happening right now that I'm reading in Argentina, and there's a few links um, in the chat, which are great to different articles written by Argentine feminists. Um, I think I think it's brand new that th that intersection would would provoke such a conversation or such a debate either among feminists or among you know people who are just rabid about sports and don't really think about feminism all that often i think one of the most troubling things is that uh their comments have been taken out of context to say look at how the queer community and look at how women just want to cancel everybody they just go around canceling. And if you actually read the post, um, it, it, asking for accountability is not canceling. Like that, so it's used very much by the right. It's used very much by people who are opposed to the feminist movement. And it's exacerbated as that's the only thing they wanna talk about um, when it comes to Maradona even though frequently that's the only time, you know, women are invited to speak publicly on football. There are plenty of women in Argentina that could talk about a technical comparison between, you know, um, Raquel May and Maradona, but how many people are going to ask women? So part, part of that also exaggerates and exacerbates the idea that the feminist movement is obsessed with canceling Maradona in Argentina, which mm. I can tell you is not the case. Yeah, I totally agree with you on that. Uh, well, I will continue with the questions. We have 10 minutes left. Uh, Paul Stitch says, I wondered a bit about how we locate politics with regard to soccer. In much of the conversation, there seems to be a bit of a sense that politics sits outside of the game. But even if we think about making sense of the relationship of the player to the game, example, in terms of professionalism versus amateur, with its own history. That's one approach 
to a plane to get it was not it's not a comment there a question sorry was is inherent political um sorry there are too many questions uh, <laughs> i'm a little lost sorry um if you seek another question okay uh, Okay, I think we can, what we can do is a final round if, of each of you and if you want to give a final comment or something to, to close the debate of this QA session, uh, to take advantage of this 10 minutes we had. Are you, you agree with that? You want to add something to the debate? Ernesto want to, so. Uh, no, no, I'll be, I'll be short. I am short, uh, but i be short. Uh, um, in, in relation to, to the last comment that you read, um, yes, uh, the uh, sport is, is uh, and, and football in particular, is inherit, inherently uh, uh, political, uh, but not, in, not only in the sense that everything is political, uh, but in the sense that the history of football in Latin America uh, goes uh, uh, on the side and in the middle of the history of creation uh, or the creation of a national of national identities and the creation of a regional identity uh, starting with the very fact of the this this uh, building the distance uh, with uh, with the creators of, of football uh, and in England and and a set of symbols, some of them total inventions, some of them with some real basis in terms of uh, style, in terms of the way we were uh, uh, people playing Latin America in, in terms of how uh, people who play uh, feel uh, about that, um, which I don't think are, are necessarily real. And I don't think the way people feel about uh, football in, in Argentina defines uh, the identity uh, in opposition to what's going on in, in, in France or, or in the UK. Um, but I do think in relation to, to that comment that, um, that the, there's, there's an entry point and, and probably is in crisis uh, in, in the last couple of decades, there's an entry point into sports in general, but football in particular, uh, that breaks uh, or dissolves that division, that, that huge separation, that grieta between uh, professional and, and amateur. Not, not in the sense of how the history of football actually started with, with the, the professionals being the lower classes and, and, and the amateurs being those privileged who didn't have anything, uh, didn't have any, any kind of economic need, uh, but in the sense of a uh, 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 later modern sense of considering the amateurs as those who are not necessarily prepared or fully committed or deeply engaged with an industry that is perfectly and rationally working. And, uh, and football has provided uh, for a very long time uh, an, an opportunity to sort of uh, dissolve that and, and see how uh, professionalism uh, has actually helped to build a better use of, of, of the amateur engagement uh, with football. I think, uh, and, and talking about the, the characters in themselves, that Maradona in that sense, and the 80s in, in so many ways, are the last moment in which that is uh, possible. Uh, I think that people 
like uh, Messi or Cristiano Ronaldo, regardless what what they are, I have no idea what they what they think about uh, football. Uh, I don't think they have a space to even think about the kind of relation relation between emotions and and joy that their profession. Uh, brings in the same way that a football player, uh, a famous football player, could have, could have had in the in the sixties, seventies, uh, and eighties, where I think is sort of the, the the last the last moment for that. And and in that sense, I think that Maradona only in that sense, uh, Maradona uh, uh, becomes over time, not necessarily at the moment, a symbol of a time gone. I think that uh, that he was not he was never nostalgic. He was never claim uh, or built a narrative in which he uh, uh, was uh, tied to any kind of past. I think he's a product of, of this neoliberal transformation in which he's part a product and 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 and, and sort of an outsider of that. Uh, but that over time we can see that that kind of problematic uh, relation. Uh, uh, sort of one of the last times in which that was possible. Brenda, Matthew, you want to, to add something? I'll go and then Brenda can have the last word. Um, yeah, I mean, I, what Ernesto just said there was a great way of summing up. So in a way, I feel silly saying anything. I guess if in the UK, we're going to put up a statue to any Argentinian sports person, I would probably prefer before we do the Diego Maradona one, we do one to Lillian Gemma Harrison, who was the first person to swim across the Rio de la Plata in 1923, and coincidentally, a woman, and went to school in Hertfordshire. And I think that the fact that we're considering, you know, we're having this event about Diego is precisely because of what Ernesto said, because he kind of sits at the top of these various layers of nation, masculinity, and class. You know, so he occupies this amazing place at the time of global transformation. But yeah, so I'll just say, you know, it's been a total pleasure. Thanks, everyone. Um, been a real privilege to be in a part of it. Okay, <laughs> I don't really want to close this event. Um, it's it's so sad. It's so fun. Um, we could be here forever, but just to to connect with the both of what you're saying uh, about what the the romanticization and the nostalgia for a moment that offered some possibilities that might seem closed um, today. I think one of the things that made Maradona so beloved by um, even women who criticized him, by Barcelona fans, by Napoli fans, um, is also that he brought a culture that had been built by the civic associations that were clubs in Argentina. And even to the extent that he would bring drummers and hire them himself at Napoli because he felt like the stadium wasn't loud enough. Like it was, it was frustrating. <laughs> like that's an amazing thing. Like when he arrived at Napoli, there were um, tons of interviews about his time with Argentinos juniors, you know, five years with them. And we forget about the fact that he was built and created um, by this culture because you extract the genius. 
And then, and then it's very easy to forget about that. And so I would just like to add on, and I guess it's a, for me, it's a good way to end that those clubs are still in struggles um, against privatization, that that's really important politically. And then if we want to see another figure like Maradona and, and maybe even get a feminist <laughs> version of one, um, that, that it's not to reject football or working class football tradition, but support the women that are trying and the queer community that is trying to make the stadiums a, a newly dynamic place. Um, you know, Ar Argentina as a domestic league uh, that can both be vibrant, less corrupt, and that also means less sexist, I think. Well, uh, thanks everyone for participating in this uh, amusing and fantastic event and discussion about Maradona, Sa, the Lycan. Thanks, uh, Brenda, Matthew, and Mr. for the time. Uh, hope you have uh, a good evening. I'm sorry we couldn't take all the questions, but there were so much, <laughs> so many questions. So, uh, goodbye, everyone. A final clap to the speakers. <laughs> Thank you so much. Thanks, everyone. That was really cool. Really enjoyed it. Yeah. So, yeah, the people, all, all the good people. <laughs>